Hi, this is episode 27 of K. Ray Reads to You. Today we have part one of chapter nine of Absolute Zero by Helen Cresswell. Chapter nine. The clearing of the Bagthorpe's house after Daisy's flood lasted approximately till Christmas. It was a complicated operation. The walls needed doing on two separate counts, and other parts of the house, too, had been subjected to both fire and flood. In any event, for the next two months or so, the house was never, at any given moment, free of workmen of one kind or another. They were not called in, however, until the preliminary mopping up had been completed by Mrs. Fosdyke and her brigade, who took an unconscionably long time over this and were, Mr. Bagthorpe asserted, actively enjoying it. They are in their element, he declared. They feed on destruction and human misery. Only a corpse discovered in some dark corner could make them happier. There were days on which, he said, he might well be driven to supplying one or two such corpses himself. He detested Mrs. Pye and Mrs. Bates even more heartily than he did Mrs. Fosdyke, and perhaps the only good thing that came out of the matter for him was that from this time on he did not see Mrs. Fosdyke as the ultimate in aggravating and purblind humanity. He had seen worse. His eyes had been opened. He particularly detested Mrs. Pye, who, he maintained, was upsetting the vibrations of the whole house to the point where he could hardly bring himself to write a single word. When asked to describe what it was in particular about Mrs. Pye that had this effect, he was at a loss to put this into words that convinced anyone else of her direfulness. "'Haven't you noticed the way she holds her mop?' he would demand. "'And have you ever seen anyone scrub the way she does? "'She scrubs like she was Lady Macbeth, outing a damn spot.' "'It's all Shakespeare stuff he's, he's alluding to.' "'Mrs. Bagthorpe dismissed all these allegations as far-fetched and fanciful, "'though she herself had been irritated by having descriptions of her house "'relayed to the interested village, and then repeated to herself by acquaintances.' Their home had been represented, she said, as though it were a large-scale hovel. "'It is a hovel,' returned Mr. Bagthorpe flatly. "'It became a hovel within an hour of that accursed infant being left here.' He absolutely ignored Daisy for the remainder of her stay, and was itching for Uncle Parker to return so that he could tell him what he thought of her, and have the biggest all-out row he had ever conducted with him. He had the advantage, he knew, of having all the ammunition, and also several days in which to compose choice insults and exquisitely worded sneers. He went about the house, tripping over brooms and pails, rehearsing these, and also made notes of them while in his study. Jack caught snatches of them, and trembled for Uncle Parker. At the same time he could not help feeling a certain thankfulness that somebody had done more to invoke his father's anger than himself. Mr. Bagthorpe had certainly taken the loss of the laundry relatively lightly. Beyond remarking that if only Zero had been struck by a thunderbolt, the socks of the entire household would have been well lost, he had little to say. It was Mrs. Fosdyke's wrath that had been particularly incurred. First, she dispatched Jack and a protesting Rosie on a full-scale search of the fields along the route Jack had taken. Jack took Zero to though not with any real hope of his sniffing out the missing articles. "'You can't expect him to,' he told Rosie, as they plodded disconsolately, disconsolately through the long, sodden grass. 
Even a trained bloodhound couldn't do it after all that rain. You know Zero can't sniff things out, she told him crossly. He never has been able to. Father says he couldn't even sniff a mutton bone at five yards. They returned, predictably empty-handed, and with Zero's ears at a pronounced downward slant. He must have understood some of the things Rosie had been saying. Jack took Zero up to the sanctuary of his room before going down to tell Mrs. Fosdyke that the search had been fruitless. She had cast pregnant looks at Madame's pie and Bates, who rolled up their eyes and clucked in sympathy. "'You see now,' she told them, not without a certain satisfaction, "'what I'm up against. You see now what I have to cope with.' They nodded sagely. They did, they said. "'That washing,' Mrs. Fosdyke declared, "'must have been worth all of ten pound. Twenty, I shouldn't wonder, and all want replacing.' "'Your ma'll have to be told.' Mrs. Bagthorpe was accordingly told, but she had other problems to occupy her mind. Not only did she have to oversee the restoration of the house, but now she was worried about Daisy. "'She is psychologically disturbed,' she told her husband. "'It is a definite sign.' "'Psychologically disturbed?' he repeated, on a rapidly ascending scale. "'Is this supposed to be news?' Are we supposed to leap to our feet and cry, Eureka! Psychologically disturbed, she says. <laughs> no kidding, huh? What had happened was that Daisy had begun to hold lengthy conversations with somebody called Ari Auk. It was Rosie who first noticed this. She hovered around Daisy a good deal, partly in the hopes of a chance to plait her hair or push her on the swing, and partly because she was afraid that if she committed any further misdemeanors, Mr. Bagthorpe really would dispatch her somewhere on a boat. On the morning after the deluge, Daisy had, for the first time, voluntarily returned to Rosie's room straight after breakfast. D Rosie, hopeful that this meant that she wanted at last to play, followed after her. She could hear Daisy's voice as she went along the landing. "'You are a bad boy, Arioch.' she was saying. Then, you are my bestest friend in the whole world, Arioch. At first the Bagtharps had not known quite what to make of the name of Daisy's invisible friend, and, it later transpired, accomplice. It was some time before they realized that she had read the name on a framed and illustrated version of Whittacombe Fair that hung in the downstairs lavatory along with Spanish bullfight posters and Victorian texts. When asked who Arioch was, Daisy replied that he was the person who had turned on all the taps in the house on the previous day. It was this that worried Mrs. Bagthorpe. "'It is a clear case of transference,' she said. "'Whatever shall we do?' Her husband replied that the main thing to do was to make sure that Arioch turned no taps and lit no fires for the next three days, and that thereafter he would be the sole concern of Uncle Parker and Aunt Celia.' "'And Uncle Tom Cobbley and all, as far as I am concerned,' he concluded. "'The whole pack of them. Dan Stewart, Bill Skewer, Peter Gravy, you name them. "'You are being silly, Henry,' said his wife. "'This is a serious matter. "'Daisy is only four years of age and is a guest and under our protection. "'She is holding conversations with an invisible friend called Arioch, "'and we must think what to do about it.' "'You think,' he told her. "'I'm through with thinking. "'But if you really want to know what I think,' It's that this Arioch, 
who has suddenly cropped up, is part of a malicious and well-laid plot. "'Whatever do you mean?' cried his wife. "'I mean,' he returned, "'that we are coming to the nub of the whole thing, "'the insurance and the compensation. "'If that crazy infant makes out that she's crazy, "'and it wasn't her that went writing all over everywhere "'and reducing this house to a shanty, "'if she makes out that it was this Arioch fellow that did it, "'then where are we with the insurance?' "'Surely we are adequately insured,' queried his wife. "'We are adequately covered by any normal standards,' he replied. "'I had imagined we were insured against every possible contingency. "'I extended the cover, you remember, after Mother's birthday party. "'But we are not insured against the total devastation of the entire house "'by an invisible entity by the name of Arioch. "'There is not an inspector in England who would entertain such a claim. "'You could scrutinize the small print until you were cobalt blue in the face,' and find no loophole through which you could conceivably slip this Mr. Auk. "'All right, dear,' replied Mrs. Bagthorpe. "'I perfectly understand. There is no need to labour the point.' "'Some points need labouring, returned Mr. Bagthorpe, "'and this is one of them. I do not wish to hear any more about the matter, "'and just keep her out of my way. I am an easy-going man, but I must not be tried beyond endurance.' And that's the end of part one of chapter nine of Absolute Zero. See you next time.